Auschwitz, June 5th, 1986. In this moment of recent memory, recollection clouds. Sequence suffers. Merging moods and distorted faces carve undulating circles in the skull of time. Certain. It was raining. Auschwitz was wrapped in the eternal veil bequeathed to us by our eternal failures. Our feet trudged through the mire of our shame, from barracks to barracks, from wall of death to oven, from torture cell to disrobing hell. Looking at shoes, worn brushes, broken mirrors, torn hats and crumpled children's clothes, brought from the scattered precincts of despair. At suitcases and pots and pans, transformed by photographic wizardry, to starved and numbered images of unreprieved survivors. It was raining. Our limber guide walked in suede heels, raincoated in beige under a brown umbrella. Her body was straight, her voice nearly tranquil, as she showed us our nightmares. Magnified, contorted figures bent beneath burdens, cowering from pistols, cringing with cold, pleading for justice. But when she arrived at the great cases of hair, shorn from the victims, her eyes searched through the spaces beyond us, as if while she spoke she saw her own locks, curved in brown pleats on her shoulders, shorn and gray, and her unblemished flesh and dark eyes tried in the ovens. Her soiled shoes cut scars in the mud. The unrelenting shrouds of heaven darkened our pathway. I walked with her for a moment beneath her umbrella, and she talked almost lightly of how some still refuse to believe that it all really happened. Then we looked into each other's eyes, knowing that it was raining, and we believed one another. East of Auschwitz lies another Eden of iniquities, twelve centuries deep, cunning as Dante's vengeful contrivance, an everlasting pit, a palpable prison devised in Earth's foundation to keep the poor alive. An ancient story tells of three pearls falling from the crown of a benevolent queen and vanishing into a sudden crevice, opened in Veleshka's streets. These precious stones were never found, but were transformed into great veins of salt beneath the town. The legend of lost gems, changed to a vast inheritance, is told without reflection the miracle is safely kept, divided from its legacy. Descend a moment in this mine and view her marvels. When we were here, eight hundred years ago, in our crawling infancy, the stench 
of flickering fat and suffocating smoke fill the growing space of our confinement. But we have grown tall beyond tallow. Serpentine cables weave through wide tunnels. Some semblance of the sun illuminates caverns. Children clamour to see the wide, yawning spaces where gaudy chandeliers mark vendor stands and chapels. We admire these high arches propped by huge timbers where the lofty dome of heaven still remains. We are drawn to the niches and carvings, countless encrusted with some blackened crystals where the Madonna is prayed. She is one with the dead who died quickly or perished with brief glimpses of the light. Perpetually we pray for her deliverance for she is the bond servant of deprivation, the curse-laid queen holding up pearls in the dungeon the violated maiden of the mind. She has seen the rich, opulent and feathered drawn on steel rails in splendid carriages by blind and dying horses through the precincts of her vigilance. The tailored overseer courting his Christian sword of purblind dedication to centuries of suffering the black-fraught priest, hell's master beadsman from the upper air, declaring the gates of heaven are jeweled and hidden in the pit. Even as we hear these ceaseless echoes, a rumble as of earthquake comes upon us. Be not afraid. The detonations will not harm us, are far away, are set in safe and separate sectors of the mine. The Paulite Monastery, Yasnagora, June 4th, 1986. High in the Tatras, the exiled king John Casimir looked down upon the deluge, seeing the shapeless chaos besieged by water. Noah adrift in unremitting storms, Poland drowning in the deeps. What could he do with aching despair? Cast it like hope upon the flood tide and be consoled by Noah's history? From Yasnagora came his answer, where Sweden stalked Our Lady of the Scar. Preserve the final grain of sand that still is Poland. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and saw the features of the black Madonna imaged in receding waters of the flood. And it came to pass that John Casimir returned. The center of the realm is Yasnagora, he declared. There portions of our land first reappeared. Our wounded lady who knows the nails of sorrow saved us. No flood can reach above her benediction. To her we dedicate our crown and commonwealth. She is the Queen of Heaven and of Poland. Casimir is dead three hundred years and more.
in his fading, childless days, with his wife in the grave and his kingdom divided, he gave up his crown, remarried the church, and left the land to the Virgin Mother and her miracles. Holding the child, her enigmatic eyes and sword-marked cheek arrest the harshest pilgrim kneeling before her icon. What are the wonders they pray for in this perfumed, candlelit grot? What do they know of Father Kordeki, whose heart rests in an urn beside the altar? What little towns are emptied of these folks, this pious morn? Centuries of rosaries clutter the walls, where crutches and canes illustrate wonders. The sick and halt cured, prisoners released, the tormented healed, the hungry fed, sight restored to the blind. We marvel at the myriad candles, votive ribbons, discarded spectacles, relics of saints, exotic coins and gymnasium banners, all without voices and faces, without photographs to tell us which pilgrims perished outright in the ovens, or which still wander through purgatorial passageways beneath the streets of Ilishka. Only the icon is steadfast, dwelling in sinister shadows, like a lusterless gem in a pool, she beholds her supplicants kneeling beneath jaundiced light of cumbrous chandeliers. All sounds of sorrow touch her cheek. All demented whispers make her tremble. Childless, she would choose exile and leave the land. But there is no escape. She has had children and suffered in the mines. The Carpathians are far away, high above the flood, and she is the Queen of Poland. The Art Gallery of Vladislaw Heswar, Zakopane, June 15, 1986. In the foothills of the mountains at Zakopane, there is a studio of art that counters all the beauty of the countryside. Forms and figures hang in grotesque and erose patterns, as if they once were eels and frogs, brewed and transmogrified by single-eyed, malicious witchery in a cloudy cauldron. Multicolored giant jugs turned to ugly human faces, monstrous aquariums equipped with tubes to make unhealthy noises, women's breasts bulging from portraits supplied with spigots and faucets plumbed to their nipples. Sword-beaked, diving, flame-wrapped ravens directed by jet pilots seated in their heads. A bleeding mirror stabbed by the shattering blade of a protruding dagger. A baby carriage filled with sand planted with crosses and candles. And scattered everywhere in persecuted postures like mutilated soldiers in bowls and baskets and ashtrays on sofas and tables and sills and shelves, thumb-sized, plastic, frangible dolls, naked, dented, and maimed. Hassoir, the artist, decorates his gallery and his rooms with these. A cousin to Goya, he continually conceives and hosts the raw-mouthed Saturn devouring his children. 
To paint the beautiful would sicken him, he says. His closets and kitchen and all the hills of Zakopane are crammed with day's indignities and the horrors of our hands. Who dares to raise an argument against this desolate vision? Deservedly we dwell in the midst of what we have made. And our other inheritance, that beauty which Keats claimed forever counters leaden-eyed despair, is only a fading whisper among brittle dolls collected in ashtrays. Hassoir himself, we must suppose, sometimes hearkens to the haunting echo. Why else would he bring song into his gallery, though day and night he ponders startling ways to figure our atrocities? Eva mon bel esper. Who would name her otherwise? Philomel in the midst of desolation, symmetry and grace among ruins? And as the lights dimmed, and the desecrations of time gradually returned to chaos, and the first lovely notes from the Carpathians descended upon us, the waters of the flood abated, and we were tranced by a black-gowned maiden shawled in red, moving to sounds of her own inclinations. Petulant and somber, tender and gay, she listened with us to the song she sang, but when her voice and eyes became lost days of happier springs and plaintive notes of melancholy pierced the hushed dark air, the pain of Pushkin overwhelmed us. Sing, lovely one, we beg no more, the songs of Poland in our presence. She turned away an instant, as if the melody had touched her inner ear beyond endurance. Then suddenly whirled back to glaring lights, wearing a death mask grizzled gray with crusted salt, and stretched her arms out to embrace the brilliant horrors of that truth-filled space. And then I knew that I had seen her sacred, mortal face at Auschwitz, blemished and misshapen beneath the insubstantial fabric of a brown umbrella. Such were the visions of my fourfold journey, singular, ambiguous, austere, to brutish dens and hells and grots, to galleries hung with hoarded trophies of the mind's depravity. And all the while I traveled through that tangled wilderness where dark-robed melancholy reached out to touch my hand, the Polish fields of summer flourished undisturbed. The swaths of new-cut hay were swirled in graceful rosaries upon the ground, while shoulders felt the warmness of the sun. Yet farmers stooped their great green loads at last on skeletons of trees, transforming them to shrouded figures. These ghosts will surely haunt my winter dreams.' 